1: Yeah, notwithstanding the significance of Andre's capture, the Fidelity Medallion would have never been awarded and the names of Paulding, Van Wart and Williams would have gone unrecorded by history, if not for Washington.
0: That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor Vic DeSanto discussing the Fidelity Medallion, and he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is sponsored by the Small Battle Series with two new releases, The Battle of Musgrove's Mill, 1782, by John Buchanan, and The Battle of Harlem Heights, 1776, by David Price. Available now wherever books are sold. Hello ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today our guest is Journal of the American Revolution contributor Vic DeSanto, and he's discussing the creation of a medal to commemorate the capture of John André. When we look at the American Revolution, we often look at the things left behind, mostly in the form of sources. But, in some cases, we often find amazing, incredible little trinkets uh, that are left behind as well. Uh, Some of them survive in museums, and others, as we'll see tonight, uh, survive underneath somebody's bed. Either way, they're preserved in a very loving fashion. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Vic DeSanto. Vic DeSanto, thank you for joining us.
1: I'm glad to be here, Brady. Thanks for inviting me back.
0: Vic, you've been on the show before. Remind us about your background.
1: Well, I'm consider myself a social historian who focuses on labor and working class history. I'm not a military historian by any means. My doctoral dissertation focused on uh, the streetcar workers evolved during the progressive era. Um, I, as a social historian, I have always thought that history to me is just more than about generals, battles, politicians, and aristocrats. It's also about the rank and file, the little guy, the common people, who are often the heart and soul of a community's past.
0: What first drew your interest into this topic?
1: Well, I've been researching... Um, Andres Captors for about two years now and this sort of fit in with some of the other articles I have written and uh, published in the Journal of American History so um, I think it's significant in a lot of ways I think it helps shed light on um, Andres Captors and the events surrounding their rise to uh, fame and prominence and um, I've also hoped that you know people will if they're in the area drive to Albany and see the medallion when it's uh, presented or exhibited.
0: Vic tell us about the history of military medallions. Why were they made?
1: Well it seems like they started making them during the Renaissance. And they were often made to boost morale, to recognize service in campaigns, to celebrate pivotal moments in military history, and to honor valor. In the United States, the first six all went to the first six that were authorized by Congress all went to officers in the uh, Continental Army. Gold, a gold medal was authorized by Congre- to Congress to Washington in 1776 after the Siege of Boston, to Horatio Gates in 1777 after the Battle of Saratoga, to Anthony Wayne after the Battle of Stony Point, and there were two other silver medals given to um, lesser-ranked officers for Stony Point and Henry Lee after the action at on the fidelity medallion is really exceptional in a lot of ways because it's the first one that goes to enlisted men who are not even in the Continental Army. They're just in the New York State Militia. And it's also the first one to be made and presented. Congress was busy fighting a war and didn't really have the time or the money to um, make these medals. They... Oddly enough, uh, the gold medals were made in France. They were A lot of them weren't made until uh, Washington became president in 1790. So this one's significant. It's it's the oldest military decoration in the United States history.
0: How did this medal come into the possession of the New York State Museum?
1: The medal stayed in the possession of, of Isaac Van Wart's descendants since 1780. The last owner... Ray Fate Van Wart Robinson, who lived in Westchester County and a direct descendant of Isaac Van Wart, basically kept it under her bed in a shoebox. And she displayed it at historical societies and to people who wanted to see it. She passed away and she didn't have any heirs. She never married and had didn't have any siblings. So in her uh, will, she left her desire that it should be given to a, you know, a proper museum. She passed away um, almost three years ago, so it's, it's taken some time for, to get her estate settled. And I guess uh, the attorney who was handling the case felt the best place for, for it was the New York State Museum, which is in Albany, which is kind of centrally located in New York State, right in the middle of the state.
0: Vic, could you describe the medallion to us if we were to see it today?
1: It's a fairly large metal. It's two, and a, two inches, a little over two inches long and over an inch and a half wide. It's made of silver. The obverse of the medallion is inscribed fidelity, and the field is embossed with two branches, one of laurel, the other of palm, united by a ribbon which is surrounding a shield. The reverse has the motto, Amor Patre Vincen, which means the love of country conquers. And the recipient's name was engraved between the two branches of a fleur de a lily united by a ribbon. Basically, it says, uh, presented by Congress to Isaac Van Wart for the capture of Andre.
0: Vic, why and how was this medallion commissioned?
1: Fidelity Medallion is also known as the Andre Capture Medallion. So, naturally, it was awarded to three privates in the New York State Militia for capturing Major John Andre on September 23, 1780, in Terrytown, New York. Andre was uh, Benedict Arnold's liaison in... Arnold's plan to turn over West Point and perhaps even capture George Washington to the British. Things went awry uh, after they met, and Andre had to, uh, he didn't have to, but he donned civilian clothing, traveled across the river from the west side of Hudson to Westchester County, was traveling south to New York City which the British had held when he was captured by these three men I guess the process really is for uh, Congress to recognize the event and to order it to be uh, procured which they did they uh, procured this they ordered this medal to be procured on November 13th 1780, which was, um, you know, less than, uh, what, six weeks after the capture of
0: Andre. What role did George Washington play in this story?
1: Yeah, notwithstanding the significance of Andre's capture, the Fidelity Medallion would have never been awarded, and the names of Paulding, Van Wart, and Williams would have gone unrecorded by history, if not for Washington. Uh, Paulding, Van Wart, and Williams, along with five of their companions, Delivered Andre, then masquerading under the name of of, under the pseudonym pseudonym of John Anderson to Lieutenant Colonel uh, John Jameson at a Continental post in North Castle, and then they went on their way. They turned them in and they left. And his initial report to Washington, Jameson does not even recognize their uh, does not even list their names. He just says he has in his possession uh, a man calling himself John Anderson, and he sends the documents that the captors had found in Andre's boots. The next day, Andre writes a letter to confession to Washington, and Washington receives both these letters at the same time, and if he had just let it go at that, the... You know the names of Paulding and Ward and Williams would have been unrecorded by history, but it's it's Washington who sends their first. He doesn't even know their names, and he sends a um, letter to Congress saying Andre was taken by some militia men who, uh, in Terrytown, they were offered a large reward. They rejected it. And he felt this was very virtuous, and uh, he says he's going to send their names. And it seems at this time, Washington directs uh, Colonel Jameson to send them over the river to, to uh, the Army quarters at the, uh, at the Army Camp at Tappan in Rockland County. And the problem arises at first, because Jameson can only find polding. And it takes him uh, polding goes by himself at first, and it's interesting to note that uh, Jameson trusts Paulding to deliver a letter to Washington in which he contains a lot of military intelligence and information about uh, the Lanceys, Cowboys, which are Tories, and the plundering which is going on above and below the lines. It takes him two days to find the other two, Williams and Van Wart, and they eventually are sent over to Tappan, They meet with Washington, Hamilton. Um, It seems like they were actually basically introduced in the Army, and they make the rounds and meet a lot of the soldiers and talk to a lot of the officers. And then they actually uh, testify as witnesses in the trial of Joshua Smith. Joshua Smith was an attorney attorney who acted as West Point's Chief of Secret Service, and he escorted Andre across the Hudson into Westchester County up to the Pines Bridge in the town of Yorktown. And then he just left and went back to, um, you know, back to his home. So he, a lot we know about the capture of Andre actually comes from the minutes of that trial. So it's Washington, um, after feeling satisfied, after meeting with them, they testified to Washington. He felt everything was comfortable. And it's Washington who sends their names to Congress uh, about two weeks after they captured Andre. And he just basically praises them and says it's his pleasure to introduce uh, the three men who took Major Andre and rejected his bribes, John Paulding, David Williams, and Isaac Van Wart. And they should be... Uh, They deserve the thanks of their country, and they should be rewarded. And Congress responds within a month by awarding them each a lifetime pension of $200 annually, which is very substantial for the time. And also uh, ordering that the Fidelity Medallion be struck to commemorate the capture, which breaks tradition. So far, everything they had uh, authorized went to an officer. And this goes... This goes to three privates and the New York State Militia, and it's although it's the seventh to be authorized, it's the first to be made and presented. And Washington probably had something to do with that, although you know there's no written records of that at all.
0: What happened to the medal after it was commissioned?
1: Well, as I said, Isaac Van Wart's family of medal has stayed in the possession of his descendants since 1780. Uh, its last home was under Miss uh, Van Mort Robinson's bed in a shoebox. John Paulding's medal has an interesting history. It was thought to be lost, and it turns up in a, a warehouse. I think uh, in the eighteen nineties, John Paulding's elder elder brother William had a granddaughter who stored some furniture and mementos um, in this warehouse. And after she's passes away, the uh, family which owns the warehouse, the Vanderbilt family actually, hires an appraiser to go through the stuff that's in the warehouse, and they're going to auction it all off to pay her bills. And as this appraiser is going through this, he finds a fidelity medallion, and thankfully, he recognizes it, and, uh, you know, he realizes its significance, and it's returned to Paulding's descendants. How it ended up with that branch of the Paulding family, nobody knows. Uh, Paulding had 19 children of his own and many direct descendants, so that that's a mystery. William's Medal remained in the custody of his descendants. Uh, Paulding and Williams' medals were eventually donated to the New York Historical Society, and they were displayed there until they were stolen from an exhibit showcase in 1976. And they really haven't been uh, rediscovered at all. You know, they're probably in the homes of a private collector Recently, the FBI tracked down, I think, 14 firearms that have been stolen from museums uh, decades ago in the homes of a, hybrid, of a private collector, and they're being returned to their original, you know, owners, the original museums that uh, own them. So hopefully, you know, if the FBI is listening, they'll be aware of this, uh, these two medals, and hopefully, they'll be able to uncover those too.
0: How can visitors see this medal today?
1: Well, today, as far as I know, it's not being displayed. It's going to be displayed in the... There are plans to display it at the New York State Museum in Albany in the fall. It may even travel to other sites, but I really don't know. So I think the best way to uh, follow, you know, the fate of Isaac Van Wert's Fidelity Medallion is just to... uh, on the New York State Museum's webpage on Facebook or on you know just on the internet and they'll probably update it when they're ready to display the medal.
0: Vic we always end with this question how does this article help us understand the revolutionary era better
1: well I think it hopes it helps or I hope it helps further vindicate the captors of Andre as my other articles about them have attempted to do and rescued the captives from the scrap heap of history. They did their job. They turned in Andre and they left. It doesn't seem like they made any demands for further rewards. Part of the folklore about the capture of Andre is that they told Andre, well, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, and turned him in to Jameson because they believed they would be rewarded amply for him, which is kind of ridiculous. They didn't really even know who he was at the time. Uh, and they went on their way, and like I had said, Washington did want to know more, and it took several days for Jameson just to round them all up. I think it's also interesting that Jameson trusted Paulding with a letter, which, you know, contained important military intelligence about the plundering going on, and about the cowboys, because Balding's often portrayed by some historians and rather unflattering light. And uh, overall, Washington, Hamilton, Lafayette, the rank and file, the Army, Congress, they all seemed impressed with polling Van Wart and Williams as it had when this happened. So I hope this helps rescue them from the scrap heap of history and gives them the credit they deserve as we approach the 250th anniversary of the American Revolution.
0: Victor Santo, thanks again.
1: Okay, you're welcome.
0: The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying... So long.